Welcome to Speaking of Service, the podcast that uncovers practical ways to grow service revenue, control costs, and improve customer satisfaction. If you're looking to innovate, gain a competitive edge, or just learn about the latest service trends, you've come to the right place. Sustainability is on everyone's mind. In this episode, Chris Wolf welcomes Ali Pinder back to the show to discuss how field service organizations contributed to sustainability efforts long before it was termed cool. Welcome to Speaking of Service. I'm glad to have you with us again. Sustainability has been a hot topic for a long time, but for service professionals, particularly those delivering remote service, they've been sustainable since before it was cool. Uh, I'm delighted to have Ali Pinder here with me today to talk about some research he's been doing. You may recall Ali is the Vice President of Research for IDC. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for being with me, Ali. Good Thanks to for see having you. me. Uh, so before we get started, Tell me about your family. Are you good recyclers? Are you sustainable in the Pinder house? I think there's a, a level of need for continuous improvement. Obviously, uh, you know, there are goals in life to uh, continue to do better. One of the things I like are tactile things. So we get to the newspaper once a week. So that's kind of the easiest way to recycle is just put the newspaper in the recycle bin. But we definitely need to get better at washing uh, takeout dishes post-pandemic. You eat a lot of takeout. Rinsing those out is uh, really important. Well, keep up the good work. And speaking of good work, I, I stole your quote, which is that service professionals were focused on sustainability since before it was cool. Tell me a little bit about the research you've been doing on sustainability. Yeah, the, the way in which I think it's important to think about sustainability, specific to service in the aftermarket, is the fact that every time you roll a truck to do a job, that's an opportunity to do something a little bit better than you did before. So if you get more efficient at doing work, getting it done faster, or maybe not even rolling truck at all. That's how I view operationalizing sustainability. So throughout my research, I've looked at opportunities that we could think about getting smarter at when we send a technician, when we prioritize what work needs to get done on site, and who really needs to go to do what to resolve the issue for a customer. Now, when you've talked about truck rolls, and I know software can have a lot of a role to play in avoiding truck rolls, but software can also help make sure that machines last longer in the field. Talk to me about that balance of fixing machines as well as keeping them up and going and even designing them to be more sustainable upstream. I think you said something great right there, right? Software technology is an opportunity to get smarter at what we do. When do we know something's going to fail? In our research, we continue to see that about 45% of assets are connected today, with the goal of being somewhere around two-thirds of products and assets being connected in the future. As you get better connected data, Hopefully, you can get better at when something is going to fail and, and shrink the amount of time that something is down, an asset is down, and prioritize when work should happen and who should do that work. So I think the real opportunity that technology plays within the role of sustainability is understanding when you should send someone out to avoid long periods of downtime for customers, which impacts their productivity, their output, and their satisfaction. But you can also do it sustainably if you can predict when you need to fail. So you don't have to roll a truck a second time. So I think the big opportunity around software and technology is to know what failed or what's going to fail, what parts are needed, what skills are needed, what technician is needed, so you're not sending two trucks. You're sending one truck or maybe no trucks. Well, let's t dig into that a little bit. You said right now about 45% uh, of assets are connected. Is that because there are so many long-lived, kind of older assets, pre-connected? Yeah. Days. Yeah, a lot of the industries I work in are, you know, industries that have been around for decades, centuries, if not, right? So you have a lot of equipment that may have been in the field for a long period of time. 
oftentimes those assets aren't as smart and connected as we'd like them to be. Um, they do provide some data flow and you can add you know, retrofit sensors and that sort of thing. But I think the real opportunity is to figure out how we can get smarter with things that are gonna be in place for a long period of time. When we think about the last three years, we've all shifted some of our purchases to prioritize what needs to be new. So I think uh, when we look at the opportunity for the next coming years, I think that'll accelerate a lot where we'll see more connected things. Um, but right now, it's still around that 45% range. And I imagine there's a tension between uh, connecting homogeneous sets of equipment as opposed to wanting to get a, a single supplier OEM of equipment so that you can have the benefits of the connectedness and the intelligence they provide. Where's that, that DMARC right now? Yeah, uh, heterogeneity, uh, I'd see it as ecosystems, right? I mean, I think it's, it's difficult to tell a customer, a facilities manager, an operator that all the equipment that you're gonna, that's gonna run your plant, run your um, you know, hospital, run your you know, facility, is all gonna be from the same manufacturer, right? I think it's how these things connect to each other and how they talk to each other to figure out what is actually working in that network of systems. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, even in my home, if I think of a consumer environment, you know, I have manufacturers from all, my dishwasher's different than my refrigerator, it's different than my, you know, my smart uh, thermometer, right? Um, uh, or, or HVAC system. I think the opportunity is how these things connect to each other and how they talk to each other to provide us with better intelligence as to how performance is really gonna occur in the market. Well, in the software world, we surely saw the trend towards open systems and standardization. Are you seeing that openness happening in all the markets or is people still clinging to proprietary platforms? It's a really good question. I think as we see the value of data and the value of real-time insights improve and enhance the experience that customers can see, when I say customers, I'm you know B two B customers, B two B to C customers. As the value of this, these insights uh, become you know evident to the market, I think there is more standardization and understanding that these data flows need to go across manufacturers, need to go across systems to inform the decisions that are made um, at the point of service. How are you seeing all of that data that's generated flowing back upstream to inform the design of these machines in the first place? It can be better. Uh, I, I think one of the real, uh, you know, I've been covering this space for about 15 years now and loving service and the fact that when things break, you can fix them um, or hopefully you can fix them. Uh, but the challenge has always been that service has been siloed from the rest of the organization, right? You, you send a person in a, in a van or a truck to go out to some location to fix something, right? They're in front of something for the first time maybe in a while and they have to become experts at the point that there's need, right? With a customer that is worried about you know, having downtime. So I think the real opportunity is, can we take service data and inform design decisions back in engineering, design, and quality to improve not just the product for the customer's perspective, but also how can the design team improve the design for serviceability, right? If, if I'm a service technician and I show up to this very complex machine and the fix that engineering knows is gonna be the prior fault, um, is in the back of the machine, in the back of the compressor, and I have to take everything out to fix it. That's a very long, complex fix, right? What if, as a design team, we model out the fact that the most likely failure is gonna be something that's gonna be here, let's put it right in front, or in some place that's handed. easily accessible for a technician to get to. So right. when I think about design for serviceability, it's all about, can we take that long list of data points that we've captured on these assets, understand what the likely failure is going to be and ensure that it's easier for that technician to find that fix that's most likely to happen. 
Now, just sort of tangential to the topic of sustainability is this one of hybrid service models where you enable a customer or a layperson to perform service with an expert over their shoulder or in their ear. What's that mix looking like between professional technicians and hybrid? It's even third-party contractors, so it's not just me and you, you know, yeah. being able to do something on a complex piece of equipment. Um, it's also, you know, people that don't aren't internal employees or internal technicians to the business, and we're seeing about, uh, I want to say, forty-five percent of organizations are leveraging either third-party contractors or looking at enhancing self-service capabilities for customers to be able to at least diagnose the issue. I think the real opportunity is to not send a technician in without knowing what is actually wrong. If you think about the, you know, the old days, you, you would call up somebody and tell them what is wrong with the thing that is broken. And there's really, that's kind of a black box you're going into, right? The technician is just assuming you know what you're talking about? Probably not, because you're not an engineer, right? So I think the opportunity is to take data, to inform data and collaborative tools to give visibility to those less, those novice, you know, technicians that don't really know the complexity of the assets and how to fix it and, and make that really real for the remote expert that can actually see what's happening, help maybe with some level of mixed engagement and collaboration, help walk someone through the actual fix. Is there an Uber moment to be had here for uh, field technicians who want to be their own bosses? Yeah, I, th I think what is really interesting is there's an opportunity to make even junior workers experts, even make someone who doesn't want to go up on a turbine anymore, you know, be able to still deliver value and knowledge and insights. And I think that collaborative aspect of, of service not only removes the need to always send a physical person on site, which goes back to sustainability, or at least you know, lessening you know, your impact on, on the environment, but it also democratizes knowledge, right? It ensures that more of us understand how things work and how things can be fixed to hopefully improve performance of those assets. Let's shift gears just a little bit. In, in the US, we're, we're fairly new to this whole sustainability and we're very enthusiastic about it, but this is not a new topic in Europe probably not a new topic in Asia. How, what are the geographic implications for sustainability that you've seen? One thing, we recently did a research survey. Um, I'm still going through the data right now, so don't quote me on the exact data points, but uh, a couple uh, trends popped up when I looked at a question we asked, which was, what are your current sustainability initiatives in place for product and service innovation? And what was really intriguing is in Europe, but what we saw was it was a lot driven from regulation, which should be no shock, right? They're more forward-looking in a lot of ways, uh, and they're looking at kind of a line from a compliance perspective, even though they're looking at being cutting edge. That's at the aggregate, right? I think it was about 150 European executives uh, responded to the survey. When I looked at the North America data, a lot of the decisions were actually driven by um, taking waste out of the service experience. So let's look at you know kind of more of we, we want to be more sustainable. It's also thinking about the cost implications of rolling a truck. And let's align our goals around cost reduction with being better service citizens, if you, if you will, around um, the opportunity around sustainability. One other uh, data point, um, I was expecting to see things like electrification of service fleets as big, something that was high up. Uh, we asked 10 options. It was the 10th option, which is still an opportunity. It was about a quarter of organizations uh, in Europe were thinking about um, service fleets, and it was just under a quarter in North America. 
but I think that's somewhat constrained by the, the grid and the infrastructure to support um, you know, this ability to have electric vehicles with your vans and your trucks. Mm. So Ali, you've written about and spoken about how regulatory compliance requirements got the Europeans kind of off the, off the ball first when it came to sustainability. I'm curious, uh, did that catalyze action in, among American manufacturers looking to do business into Europe? Definitely when you think about American businesses that are global in nature, right? There's an opportunity as you think about any investment you make in technology supporting assets and products and equipment that there needs to be standardization, right? So if there's one, the one market that you're in that is most stringent is the one you most likely want to standardize against, right? You don't want to have different pieces of equipment across the globe that are going to interact a little differently that need to be serviced differently, right? If you think about improving service efficiency, you, you want one technician to be able to go most places and have the same answer to the same question. So I think American organizations that do uh, you know, install and sell equipment globally do need to take into account global regulations when you think about sustainability. I suppose here in the U.S., everybody says whatever California sets as regulatory requirements for automobiles is going to roll back across the rest of the U.S. I'm, I guess that's happening globally as well. It's similar, right? I mean, you, you want to look at the most, and I'm from California, so you know, it's one of those things where I like to be leading edge in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I think organizations need to look at the, the, what is driving innovation and what areas are moving the needle forward and standardize against that. I think you do need to look at who is kind of leading edge in these opportunities because you don't want to be the laggard, right? You don't want to be coming in the back end to say, oh, at the very end, I need to catch up, right? You want to get ahead of these things. Well, I have to confess, I drive a Tesla, and when I hit the curb and my tire blew out, I was able to access service through my vehicle and they dispatched a technician with the tire to me in the field, and I was off and driving right that same day. So, you know, it's interesting to see how that connectedness is enhancing the service experience. It's an opportunity to improve your experience, right? I think in a lot of ways, uh, you can turn a bad outcome or a bad experience into a, a positive outcome, right? You saw the value of having this connected asset that is tied into an entire network of processes that need to move in real time at the speed that hopefully you weren't going. Right, right. <laughs> now, we've talked about the, the uh, cost of a truck roll in terms of sustainability, but what about getting longer life or greater utility out of a machine? I, I'm thinking firstly about keeping a machine up and running longer, but also what about uh, as a service models to drive up the utilization of a particular machine across many users? Where, where do the trends sit today and how fast are they changing? Fast, right. I, I, what is really interesting about this space and what continues to bring me back to want to cover a variety of topics is historically a reactive break-fix model was the norm. A standard service contract of two to three PM visits uh, was the norm. Selling consumables was how you drove revenue. Yeah. Um, what we're seeing is a lot of organizations are not just leaning in onto the as-a-service model of saying you don't buy um, you know, the HVAC system, you buy the cooling that's in this room. You don't buy the elevator, you buy the throughput of people up and down, right? It, it's also tied to can we sell in other service products like remote monitoring capabilities, like dashboards that allow a customer to have visibility into asset performance, even down to the line of training and consultative services, right? If you go back to that um, iPad collaboration mixed reality AR experience, if I can sell to a customer a premium opportunity to have 24-7, 365 interaction with a remote expert, 
that's something I'm willing to pay a premium for because I know at the point of need, I may be able to solve this problem without having to have downtime or have an asset go down. So I think that's where I'm seeing the as-a-service model evolve a little bit because not everyone can be as forward-looking as those you know, major engine manufacturers out of, out of Europe, right? Um, you know, a lot of times we need to start small but show the value and promise to customers that say this is a new relationship we can have with the manufacturer. I was talking earlier with some uh, leadership from the Service Council about you know, the trends that they're seeing in service and the shift from service as a cost center to service as a revenue center and these trusted advisors who come and call on the equipment location right. being the perfect people to deliver that value-added service. So it sounds as though sustainability is a tailwind for them. Yeah, I mean, we see similar stuff in our research around the fact that there's, you know, there's, we will have some companies that will continue to be a cost center. I think that's industry, sub-industry vertical specific. Mm -hmm. So process manufacturing, if you think about some environments where services being delivered to your own assets, not to something you sold. Uh, but we definitely see an opportunity when you're in a profit-centric environment, a customer-centric environment, to sell value because that's where the premium is going to come from, right? Service can be a commodity unless you're delivering value and differentiation. So I think the, the opportunity around sustainability not only adds to your, you know, your ability to be a better citizen of the world, but it also shows to a customer that you value your relationship and the ability to continue to improve. So let me shift up again. Uh, did anything in your research surprise you? Things surprise me all the time, right? I, I mean, I think one of the uh, great aspects of being somewhat of a, a data nerd or someone who likes to dive into survey research is the fact that, you know, I expected to see more organizations want to drive at not just remote monitoring capabilities, but also investing in the fact that, um, you know, data can talk to each other, right? I mean, I think a lot of what we're seeing in the tech world is, you know, full-on AI, and let's get into the fact that, you know, machines will be able to do more. One of the things that I find in our research around services, customers really value the human interaction piece with a technician, right? I, I think in a lot of ways, if you, if you look at a profit-centric environment that's customer-driven, that technician getting on site or at least engaging with a customer is really valuable. That's the differentiator. So what gets me really excited and was somewhat of a surprise to me is service businesses, though they want to leverage interesting, insightful technologies, which they are investing in, and AI is on the roadmap for many organizations I sample, they also understand that talent, engagement of the workforce, engaging customers, providing tools and technologies that allow for a technician to feel like going to work is a great thing, how technology can support a customer having a lot of value with the manufacturer that builds on that brand promise is really, really interesting and critical to business moving forward. Is that a generational factor? I mean, there's a certain generation of people who enjoyed that give and take. There's a, a certain generation who we assume right. don't enjoy it in the same way. Right. What's the generational impact that you're seeing? Yeah, so I, you know, it's I always want to think, you know, think about the opportunities as evolution, as 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 age groups, you know, move through the business, right? We've been talking about a retiring workforce for the entire time I've been covering the space, right? And I think what the nuance that I'm interested in is the fact that workers will can and will tell you what they value in the work experience. So some workers would prefer to be behind a screen and never interact with the person, you know, you know, face to face.
but we have tools for that, right? We have technology and applications that allow for remote level of collaboration. We have some workers who want to shake hands and give hugs and have you know lunchtime chats while they're on site. Those those workers should be allowed to have that type of environment that they can work in. And so I think it's less of generational, say, you know, a younger generation only wants to use iPads and tablets and never wants to get on site, or older generations want to, you know, always get in front of people. I think understanding your workforce, understanding what they value and how they want to engage with customers, and even how your customers want to engage with you, right? Not everyone wants to have to get on a phone call and be on hold for 20 minutes. I don't think any of us want to, right? But um, some workers or some customers really just want to have resolution occur. Right. Some want to see someone and have the trust and the, the, the confidence that someone did go in the bowels of that hospital to solve that problem on the day and it wasn't a remote patch that came over. Well, I guess it speaks to you know consumerization and everybody needing to have that flexibility to meet the customer where they are and serve them the way they want to be treated. Um, we saw a renaissance in the past two years in our CAD and PLM sales as it appeared to us at PTC that customers were trying to get their digital house in order in order to enable the benefits of industrial IoT and augmented reality and going forward AI. Does that jive with what you're seeing in your research? There was definitely an opportunity over the last few years to evaluate maturity of technology and digital transformation. IDC, we, we continue to talk about digital transformation. We've somewhat pivoted into a dig digital business model. So thinking about ways in which you can leverage technology to transform how you're engaging with your customers. And I think the first step to understanding where you are is to figure out what you have in place. How are you currently serving customers? How is technology? currently solving problems or creating problems for your business. And I think a lot of the last three years, organizations found that as they were looking at transforming how they engaged with customers, they realized what processes were broken, mm -hmm. which processes needed to be improved and which technologies could support that improvement. And so a lot of what we're continuing to, to look at from the service side is, you know, what technologies did we acquire that, you know, aren't really making the job of a service worker better? It's just another application. Um, it's another checklist that needs to be, you know, kind of marked on that sheet. So, Ali, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball as an analyst and as a data geek. Maybe give us one or two things that you would recommend our listeners lean into and maybe a couple that they take their foot off the gas on related to sustainability. I think when I think about kind of two, two things to walk away with, two things that keep me up at night or get me excited about writing more research or covering more things is the opportunity to view sustainability as an operational opportunity for value that can be delivered. So let's not look at this as something that's going to happen in 2050 or beyond. This is something that happens today. Your business can really transform by what you do today to deliver different sets of outcomes to customers. Can you think differently about how you should prioritize work to ensure that assets don't necessarily need to be down for a long period of time, right? Can we leverage technology to understand what needs to happen when? Can we remove the need to physically get on site to solve a problem? So the first thing is, you know, can we operationalize sustainability so it's our day to day? I think the second piece that I'm really excited about is an opportunity is we talked a little bit about the workforce shifts and changes in um, demographics when you think about workers. The next generation really cares about this being core to why they come to work, right? Um, it's not just, uh, you know, this is something that we can put on a, a marketing campaign. Right. You know, sustainability needs to be core to our business because it's going to drive not only 
better outcomes for customers, better outcomes for the environment, but it's going to drive why people want to come to work for your business. And I think those are the two areas that get me excited about this opportunity. Well, as we close up, I have two questions for you. Firstly, I'd love to know uh, something about you that our audience might not expect of you. And then secondly, you know, what's the opening line of your research summary going to be? So uh, I'll take the, 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 the former uh, first. Uh, so I had the opportunity in high school to play at Dodger Stadium. So if you know me at all, I'm a big baseball fan. I got to a fairly high level, enough to play an all-star game, and I got to run out on the field, steal a base, have my name called over the loudspeakers, and it was a, a crowning moment at uh, a, a younger age, and I, I hope I have not peaked yet. So to that point, the, the first line of the opening line of the research is definitely tied to you know, how organizations need to continuously improve. So that point at Dodger Stadium wasn't the end of my journey, right? Service is a journey. There's an opportunity to continue to di differentiate your business, change the way in which you interact with customers, and leverage technology to understand what should be next. What's the next value proposition to customers? Well, with that, I'll just thank our audience for joining us. I really recommend that you tap into Ali's research on sustainability and his research more broadly with IDC. Thanks for joining us here at Speaking of Service. Thanks for listening to the Speaking of Service podcast, brought to you by PTC. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. And be sure to check out other episodes to hear new perspectives on improving life for aftermarket professionals, service teams, and the customers they support. If you have a topic of interest or want to provide feedback, email us at speakingofservice@ptc.com or visit us at ptc.com/speakingofservice.